Hello, welcome to The Mag Life, episode number 167. I'm Daniel Shaw, and I'm here with Adam Kraut. Most of you guys out there will know who Adam is, but I'm going to ask Adam real quick to give us the elevator pitch of what he does and who he is and why you should be listening to him. Wow. Uh, well, thank you. First of all, uh, I'm not sure anybody should be listening to me, but I am the uh, director. I feel the same way <laughs> <laughs> about me. My name is Adam Kraut. I'm the uh, director of legal strategy for Firearms Policy Coalition. If you haven't heard of us, head on over to the, the Google and, and check us out. Uh, we're a uh, very aggressive, grassroots uh, funded organization. I'm scared to address any topics and pretty tenacious in, in the defense and uh, you know trying to advance the Second Amendment rights throughout the country. Uh, prior to joining FPC, I spent about five years practice litigating Second Amendment issues. Uh, you may have heard of me from other things like the legal brief that was on the Gun Collective, something I hope to pick back up in the, uh, the future. If you didn't know, now you do. So obviously it's all over the internet, all over the news, everything right now. A lot of folks talking about what happened in the Ninth Circuit today. Uh, obviously, this is the podcast of Gun Mag Warehouse, the Mag Life. So there's a um, a lot going on here as we prepare for the you know potential being able to sell magazines to Californians again, higher capacity magazines than they can normally have access to. That's why I've had Adam to come on because we found out quite a few things today from our attorney who's on the ground there in California and actually uh, relying a lot on the case that had their ruling on today and. There's a lot of question out there of can we start shipping magazines to California? So we'll talk about that, but we'll also talk a little bit about what this means, the language, and what this case actually means for the Second Amendment. Adam, we're, you're, you're the expert here. What do you think we should start on this? It might be good to just start with what the ruling itself was. Case generally, um, I'm sure probably most, if you're listening, you're probably interested in it, so you just in case you're not. Uh, Duncan versus Becerra is a challenge that was brought in California. It ended Benitez, who wrote a very opinion at the district court, so the, the court, the, the level court and the federal system, uh, where he undertook a very extensive analysis of the law and um, case law in relation to the Second Amendment. And he wrote a, he wrote a long opinion where he found that where he found that magazine uh, was unconstitutional um, under an analysis to the second amendment so california wasn't going to let that go and what they did to the ninth circuit if you're not aware is one of the courts of appeals here in the united states that in particular uh, oversees california states and it's also the circuit that's most overturned generally ninth circuit and call it the Ninth Circus. However, uh, today's opinion was a very well-written, well-reasoned opinion that uh, upheld that that law was in fact unconstitutional. And what does that mean that this upheld that the law was constitutional? What does that mean for places like Chicago, for other places in Illinois? What does that matter to everybody else in, in other states, especially the language they use about the scrutiny that they looked at this from? Practically, it doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. Uh, there are 
13 circuit courts here in the United States. And depending upon what state you're in, uh, depends whether or not you fall under its jurisdiction. So I guess for the easy way to explain this, you have a pyramid, right? At the bottom of the pyramid are the district courts. Those are the trial courts for the federal court system. Uh, depending upon what state there can one district court, there can be four district courts, just depends on how Congress divided that up. Uh, from there, if there is an appeal taken either by the person who brought the action or the person who's defending it, so in this case, you know, the state, uh, it goes up to the appeals. The Court of Appeals oversees several different states. So the Ninth Circuit, for instance, oversees, among others, Washington, Oregon, uh, Hawaii, and there's a few others that are in that. The Third Circuit, where I'm at, is Pennsylvania, and the Virgin Islands. Um, so the circuit you're in depends upon which courts fall under that. So essentially is that if your district court is under the ninth circuit, this ruling would affect that uh, the district court's analysis there. If, for instance, you're in the, the third circuit, like I am, so say Pennsylvania, the best that they'd be able to point to this opinion, assuming it's not overturned, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, and use it for what's called persuasive authority, essentially saying that we found this, this is their analysis, this is a correct analysis, and you guys should take that analysis and apply it to this case. It's not binding, which would mean that the court must follow what that opinion is. And then, of course, at the tippy top of the pyramid, you have the Supreme Court and what the Supreme Court says goes everywhere, uh, except when lower courts decide to ignore what the Supreme Court says. And then the Supreme Court has to eventually come back and say, no, 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 you got it all wrong. So uh, I, I guess we'll talk about the, um, I guess, the scrutiny, since you, you didn't mention that. And I think that's something that's that's worth talking about. In the Second Amendment context, it's a point of contention that I don't think a lot of people are necessarily aware of is that. Uh, law in relation to the Second Amendment and as far as how it's analyzed is borrowed very heavily from uh, the First Amendment. It's very thoroughly developed, uh, although it did take some time to get there. It certainly didn't happen right when the uh, Bill of Rights was enacted. It, it did take some time for these decisions to kind of filter down. Uh, so a lot of the courts truly that, you know, there's a corollary here for the First Amendment to inform on how to deal with issues so when we're talking about levels of scrutiny, uh, there are three that are applicable, and depending upon which one you are, higher uh, to to get over the the hurdle there. So about strict scrutiny, strict scrutiny is scrutiny that a apply in its analysis, and that requires that the government. Um, has to have passed a law that furthers a compelling governmental interest and the manner in which that law um, controls these things has to be tailored in order to achieve that interest. So, so strict scrutiny is the highest level of uh, scrutiny that a court can apply when looking at uh, challenged conduct in relation to a company. about strict scrutiny, the, the law itself has to further compel interest and it has to be narrowly tailored to achieve that interest. So it can't be just a ban that in a bunch of different behavior. It has to be a very fine line to achieve its goal. Um, and if it, if it goes beyond that, then it's not going to uh, be upheld under a strict scrutiny analysis. From there, when you get down into what's called intermediate scrutiny, it's a lesser burden on the government. 
at this level, it's a f- uh, important governmental interest, and it has to be done by uh, means that are substantially related to that interest. So here, then at strict scrutiny, where you had compelling, now it's just important. And at strict scrutiny, where it was narrowly tailored, now it just has to be substantially interest. So this is the level where a lot of the Second Amendment analysis uh, has been happening. Um, and unfortunately, the, the courts have even been watering down what's required here, um, which has resulted in a lot of challenged conduct being upheld under so-called intermediate scrutiny, uh, although it would seemingly be arguably close basis. And rational basis is going to be the lowest level, uh, and that's just a legitimate state interest and the means um, there has to be a rational connection between the or law and the the means and the the goals of it. So essentially what Heller said was that under no circumstances is rational basis ever acceptable. The position of FPC when looking at the stuff is is not that courts should scrutiny. In fact, we would look at the text as informed by history and tradition. Uh, Strict scrutiny, obviously, if the court apply a level of scrutiny, strict scrutiny would be preferable because that would require the, it would put the highest burden on the government. Um, However, you know, unfortunately, again, a lot of these courts have been applying intermediate scrutiny. And I think one of the interesting things to see in this realm, uh, when we're talking about scrutiny, is you had Justice in a dissent in first Grewal, uh recently within, I think it was back in July, uh, maybe June, um, he he said in his dissent that this two-part test courts have been applying uh, just is seemingly made up and about um, core Second Amendment rights. So for that, uh, for instance, it's the courts have adopted that part of the core of the second amendment is the ability to possess a firearm in your home for uh, of your house. And then they're saying that other things are on the periphery of the second amendment. Um, so magazines or uh, the different types of firearms, these are not necessarily core states, but they're part of the second amendment. And justice Thomas has looked at that and said, no, 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 no. No differentiation between a core Second Amendment right and a periphery. It's all just the Second Amendment. So they shouldn't be treated differently based on where you courts are are seemingly determining that these uh, end up. Going back to the the case at hand, and I apologize, that was a long way to get to where we're going here. Going back to hand, the uh, Ninth Circuit at the uh, magazine ban that was in front of them uh, applied me. Uh, rather than intermediate scrutiny, um, because it found that the uh, law itself in, infringed on the so-called core of the Second Amendment that would be able to for use in defense of your home. And itself, um, the court did say that you know there was compelling government safety of citizens and safety of police officers and all these other arguments that the forth uh, as reasons for the the law but it also said in the same breath that uh this was just a broad flat out based ban narrowly tailored to achieve that the compelling interest that has in in that so under strict the court said nope this doesn't pass constitutional muster it's unconstitutional 
And in that same vein, it also went, uh, as a lot of courts do, and applied the analysis of scrutiny and even under intermediate scrutiny, even if that were the correct standard to apply, to still fall short, and thus it can't be found to be constitutional. I just learned a lot just then, and uh, I'm sure the listeners out there did as well, because I wasn't aware of of a lot of the details within that. I think there's a there's a big question right now, uh, since you've explained that and the ruling itself, that I want to know, everybody else wants to know, at Gunmag Warehouse, our, our council that is on the ground there in California has informed us that the stay by the lower court is still in effect. And uh, until that stay is removed, now he's very optimistic that that will get asked to be removed and it will be removed by the judge. But we didn't know if that was going to happen today or if that will happen early next week. But at the same time, it's likely that the California is going to take an action as well. So to maintain a stay in place or another stay. Can you explain that a little bit more about kind of what's going on and your personal opinion of it? Yeah. So um, when you and I were kind of exchanging messages earlier, I saw an email go out from a, uh, a website and magazines could be shipped to California. And here's a list of readers who are willing to do it. And I went, Hmm, well, I know there's a stay to go. Let me go look. So uh, yeah, you're, you're, I'm in agreement with your attorney as far as how that is. Now I say that as being somebody who's not licensed to California, it's certainly not my legal advice to any, any retailer that may be listening to this, get your own counsel. Um, but yeah, the, the, the way that that stay was originally worded, it of, of it on, on appeal. And as of right now, um, there hasn't been a mandate issued from the ninth circuit the government, uh, California government, is certainly well within its right to ask for a rehearing or a rehearing on Bonk, and I'll talk about that in one second. And then from there, you know, there's also the possible petition to the Supreme Court asking the Supreme Court, "Hey, will you, will you grant this petition to hear this matter and, and tell us what what the answer is?" As far as asking to lift the stay, yeah, it's very well possible it could be done. It's also that the the judge does. And then the Ninth Circuit imposes a stay pending the, the disposition of the appeal or that the government files a uh, request at the Ninth Circuit to stay it uh, pending of, you know, an on bank petition or rehearing petition or cert petition. Uh, so there's a number of ways that this could shake out. So as of right now, uh, I, your interpretation is, is in fact correct that as of right now, I believe would in fact be unlawful to ship magazines into California and that it would be unlawful for uh, individuals in California to purchase all of that stuff that that law currently bans. Now, whether that changes, I'll be, uh, see that together. As, as far as the appeal process. Hey, let, let me ask something before you get into that, Adam, if you don't mind. Yep, sure. I saw one particular retailer out there that said, um, Hey, we're shipping magazines to California, but we take no responsible for it. Order at your own risk. I, I hope that our legal counsel is better than, than whoever's advising that that's going to stand up. I, I'm just curious, like, is that something that, not legal advice, but is that, does that even make sense in, in the law? I sure as heck wouldn't be doing that. Um, you know, there's, there's a fairly good argument. I would think that they've availed themselves to California's laws by selling magazines to Californians that could, you know, be facing <laughs> the uh, attorney general in, in California for legal action. Right. And that's what's holding us back. You know, we, we would love, we did it last time when last freedom mm -hmm. week happened, 
we were there. We were early when we saw that, okay, it is fine to sell magazines right now. Uh, we increased the magazine capacity of Californians by a extremely large yeah. amount. And as far as, you know, it's an economically advantageous thing. That's what we were in business to do. That's what we want to do. Right. But it's also, we believe very strongly in the second amendment and uh, we believe that they've been then robbed of their, their God given right this entire time. So we want to support that, but we also we want to make sure that not just for fear of litigation against us, but we need to be doing the right thing here. One for the continued defense of the second amendment, but you know, also for, to protect ourselves and the Californians there. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I did mention that they potentially put themselves at risk of prosecution, but really the, the person buying the man themselves at, at the potential for risk of prosecution, because unless that, you know, that stay is lifted currently, that law is still in effect and you would be violating the law. And if you violate the law, you know, you're looking at potential criminal penalties for California. That's probably not something you want to be looking at if you want to be able to own, you know, and possess firearms and ammunition. I cut you off when you were about to talk about the appeal process and what you expect to, to happen. Sorry. No, no, no. And it's fine. That was a fair, fair question. So, um, so as we were talking about with the appeals process, uh, the government still has the opportunity to challenge this ruling and they can do that by asking for, uh, would be, you know, rehearing on, on the panel and, uh, rehearings on the panel, unless you have a really good reason are generally never granted on bonk and means is, uh, literally as the court as a whole, California and the Ninth Circuit anyway. Um, I don't think it's all of the judges on the Ninth Circuit differently. Sometimes it's every circuit judge. Sometimes it's a large group of circuit judges and 11, 12, somewhere in there. Um, so it's going to depend on the, the circuit as to how many judges actually sit on it. Um, when something's reheard on bonk, however, what it means is that the court's going to rehear everything. Uh, they're likely argument again. It wouldn't just be on briefs. And then the court could very decision of what the, the panel came out with. Um, the best example, uh, most relatable that I can come up with off the top of my head would be Colby V. Hogan in the Fourth Circuit to merit assault weapons ban. And in that, the panel came out as, a, again, a two to one decision saying that, yep, this is unconstitutional. And we heard it on bonk and came back with, no, this is perfectly constitutional and all that's unfortunately the uh, law in the fourth circuit now is that they found that to be constitutional. So the very well happened here. Uh, it's happened in the ninth circuit uh, several times with, with prior second amendment cases. Um, so I, I would expect uh, I'm not a betting person, but uh, I would, I'd be willing to wager on this one that you would at the very for rehearing on bonk, if not on bonk review. What are we missing here about this and, and what's happening that from your side is, is important that I would likely not even notice? That's a good question. I think one of the, the important things analysis the court undertook, um, it, the opinion was well-written thought it engaged in a fairly lengthy historical analysis it it did one of the real uh, that it did do uh, fpc and uh, fpf so the the uh, firearms policy coalition and then the sister organs policy foundation 
uh, along with others, a uh, amicus brief that was drafted by our director of legal research, Greenlee. And in that, one of the things that the brief did go over in great detail was this idea of dangerous and unusual. And if we look at, at case law, dangerous and unusual came up in, in Katano, which was a case the Supreme Court heard that dealt with uh, stun guns and tasers, electronic arms. And the court in that essentially said that, you know, test here and it's dangerous and unusual. It has to be both. It can't just be dangerous and it can't just be unusual. And so, you know, it's unusual if we're looking at things in the lens while electronic arms didn't exist were adopted. And the court said, eh, no, 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 no. That's, that's, you can't just, because it didn't exist then doesn't make it constitutionally protected now. Um, and so, Brief, uh, FPC's brief, uh, you know, spent some time going through that, and the court uh, did a several-page analysis of this idea of dangerous and unusual, and adopted things that were in the brief as far as you know, it has to be both dangerous. And, unusual. and one of the things the court found was obviously that you know, uh, large capacity magazines, or as we call them, standard capacity magazines, uh, are commonplace. Uh, half of all Americans, yeah. Them, there's millions of them out there, and this idea of them being unusual is just you know, false and not reality. We even get to the dangerousness aspect of it, it just said they're not unusual, there's there's nothing else to, to do here. Um, so that was pretty cool to see you know, Joe's work get adopted by a, a court opinion. What other role did the Firearms Policy Coalition play in this? So, our only role in this case was. Amicus, uh, we, you know, a friend of the court brief and, and the Amicus briefs, and it's generally speaking in law, not, not particular to this area of law, but unfortunately, a lot of times Amicus briefs are just rehashing things that are found in the briefs of the parties themselves. The whole idea behind a, a Amicus brief or a friend of the court brief is to bring other material to the court's attention that the parties themselves either couldn't fit in theirs because of page limits, word limits, things like that, but to give novel things for the court to look at. Uh, so that's you know that's one of the things we strive to do is to to keep arguments that the parties aren't making and and bring them to the attention of the court as to like look here's some additional information that you might uh, but that that was FPC's uh, role in this case was as an amicus to um, the parties. I've been following the FPC for a while now, and I like uh, a lot of things that are going on. And we obviously have some issues with some uh, lobbying organizations and some things happening in the farms community. And we have some eating of our own, which we have for a long time in the farms industry. And not even just the farms industry, but the Second Amendment. For people who support that, we have a, we have a lot of, of negative things happening. And, you know, I, I'm just curious how the FPC is uh, addressing, the, or maybe moving forward, trying to uh, to do a better job than maybe what's been done in the past, and you know why a listener out there should should be thinking about supporting you. Um, th- that's an excellent question. So one of the things about everybody who works at FPC is that, uh, as far as values are concerned, we're all on the same page. We're all aligned in our values, and that's one of the things I think that drive the organization is that we all see things through a very similar lens. And in, when it comes down to uh, our beliefs and stuff like that, we're all on the same page. One of the really kind of prider and the way we kind of market ourselves is here's our work. And if you like what we're doing, we'd really love your support. And if you don't like what we're doing, well, then I, I, you know, we're not going to beg you for money, but we really hope to deliver value to the individual. 
we try to do that through litigation, through education, we through related things. Um, so we're we're really trying to look at what gun owners and provide value to them. And we hope that in return for providing value that the you know, will join and support us. Um, and, and that's really it. You know, it's it's as simple as if you like what we're doing, cool. We'd love for your support. No, well, we're still, we'll get there someday. Uh, you know, let us know what you think we're doing wrong. Uh, so you said something to the effect of uh, we're not going to beg you for support. So you're not going to send them a DVD and then the bill for the DVD? <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have I'm, to answer I'm that. Not invo- I'm not involved in the marketing department, but <laughs> last I checked, we didn't have a, a video crew that was making uh, DVDs in 2020. So, well. <laughs> Adam, seriously, um, tell folks where they can follow you out there and uh, and hear your insight and, you know, with the FPC and, and you personally and all the things that you do. And uh, you, you've been a wealth of information and really helped out a lot. And uh, I, I'm sure people that are hearing you for the first time that are, paying attention and I hope everybody is because we're coming up to some crucial times here that they, they do hear, you know, a good, continue to hear a good solid voice of, of reason out there that's grounded in, in fact, and not uh, uh, internet and gun store cliches. Well, uh, I mean, if you're interested in firearms policy coalition, and I certainly hope you are after listening, uh, check them out uh, on the web. The, the website for it is going to be firearmspolicy.org. If you are one of those people that hops on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, well, anyway, our gun policy. So at uh, Facebook, if you just search Firearms Policy Coalition, you'll find us there. I'm sure we're on some other social media platforms that I don't dabble in because, hey, I'm getting old at this point. So I don't know what the kids are up to these days. Uh, if you have an interest in following me, you can find me on Facebook, the real Adam Kraut, and it's the same on Instagram at the Adam Kraut. And I think it's, although I don't really hang out there, but from time to time I'll jump on there. So if you're interested in seeing more of what I got to post. Adam, thank you for taking some time out of your Friday evening to, uh, to come on here and, and talk to us and educate me and everybody else out there. And uh, as things develop, uh, would love to have you back on and talk some more about it. Hey, it was it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And, you know, I'm happy to bring some of the gang here to vacation from different perspectives. We got a few people. Oh, that would be here. awesome. For sure. Yeah, we got a few people in the roster that I'm sure we could get on here. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, also, guys, hope you got what you were looking for out of that episode. And uh, until next time, the Mag Life out.